was a seminary prof- well, I still am. I'm a professor. I was ordained, been the pastor yeah. of all these churches and stuff. And literally lights went out on my faith for a long time. Not meaning I didn't want to believe, but literally felt nothing on the inside. And reading the Bible more didn't help me. Um, praying more didn't help me. I was kind of unconsolable, even from you know being a seminary professor. All my friends were pastors, basically, so I had this sure. great support network. And you know, nothing, nothing anybody said really helped. And it just took a lot of um, a lot of time. This is the Coaching for Pastors podcast weekend bonus edition. Hey, pastors, it's good to have you. This is the Coaching for Pastors podcast. This is a special bonus weekend conversation with Dr. Brian Russell. Brian is an award-winning professor of biblical studies and former dean at Asbury Theological Seminary, as well as a transformational coach for pastors and spiritually-minded professionals. His personal mission is to seek out, study, and embody the deepest truths about God so that he can share them compellingly, lovingly, and transformationally with others. He is the author of Invitation, a Bible study to begin with, Realigning with God, Reading Scripture for Church and World, and his newly released Centering Prayer, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. He is also the host of the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. Brian has six kids, married to Astrid. He is passionate about soccer, playing guitar, and eating well. Brian is going to share with us, he's so kind to share with us uh, the most difficult period of his life and how he was able to get through it and not just survive. We hear this all the time, right? But this is really true with Brian, and I hope it's true with any of you who are looking just to survive through a particular horrible experience of your life, not just survive, but actually to thrive. So I want to get right to it. Here's my conversation with Dr. Brian Russell from Asbury Theological Seminary. Brian Russell, thank you for joining me on the Coaching for Pastors podcast. This is a, this is a treat. We've already had you on our other podcast, so we, I kind of know you a little bit, but uh, welcome. Well, thank you, Jeff. It's great to see you again. I'm looking forward to trying to serve your audience today. So thank you for the kind invitation. So we've got a different group of listeners uh, on this podcast. So just introduce yourself. uh, Tell us what you do, where you are, and uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, I live in Orlando, Florida. uh, I really have two hats that I wear. I'm a professor of biblical studies at Asbury Theological Seminary. Our main campus is in Kentucky, but we do have a teaching site down here in Orlando, and I've been doing that since 2000. And for the last few years, I've been coaching uh, professionally, and so I coach pastors and also spiritually-minded entrepreneurs. Question for you. I recently started, a couple years ago, started a doctoral program, and I'm going to finish it in the next within the next year. What do you do when you've had your, your doctorate, your PhD now for 20-plus years? Yeah, I mean, I officially graduated in 2002, so I guess it's been 20. Yeah, it's been 20-plus years now. <laughs> <laughs> it's been 20 years. So so like, what do you do to better yourself? You know what I mean? Yeah. What yeah. do you do? You know what? I've always loved to learn. So 
I read constantly, both in my field and outside my field. So there's never a time when I'm not reading two or three books. I listen to podcasts. I go to workshops and I I love talking to interesting people. So I just have a hunger to grow and to learn. So the, the difference between being in a doctoral program or any program and being on your own is you literally get to read whatever you want to read when you're yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so that's that's the thing. You see, you're gonna have a chance to go back and read books in other areas that you that you've been waiting to read. So yeah, I guess I'll figure this out because there's always been a next degree and a next degree for me to to look forward to. But I suppose after this one, then I mean I could get a PhD too, except for I'm not that smart, Brian. I don't think I could I could hack it. It's sixty, almost sixty years old. Well, it's all about it's all about your calling, and you know, and a PhD is only good if you want to be a professor somewhere. Otherwise, yeah. it's probably overkill at some point. So I just encourage just uh, you know learn and grow. Like you know, I don't have a degree in leadership, but I I learned to coach through some training without a degree, and then lots mm. of reading and such. Right, and so that's the thing is I think in the modern world, and this is true for everybody listening, is we just have to keep learning. That's good coaching right there. Keep learning. It's pretty simple, but it's something that we, not, not, something not everybody does. Yeah. So, Brian, you were on my last uh, podcast, and you've written a book called Centering Prayer. I don't remember. Oh, here. It's right here. Uh, Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Change Your Life. And I think I said before that I get a lot of books from guests that we have. I, I always figure if a, if a person is nice enough to give us an hour of their time, the least I can do is buy their book, right? And and yet yours, as I went through it, you know, just kind of scanned through it, I got I got stuck in a few areas, and I ended up reading four or five, six pages, like three or four different times. Um, and so I've I've kept it out, and it's kind of been on top, and I've been looking at it as, as I can. I just finished up my last paper for one of the courses I'm taking, so I'll have a little little yeah. breathing room. As you talked about that book. You talked about uh, a failed marriage that you had to go through and endure, and we didn't get it, get into it on the podcast, and, and I was real hesitant to even ask you about it because that's a, that's a private thing. But as you and I were just talking, our suffering can bring us deeper as a person, uh, bring, draw us closer to God, deeper as an individual, but also all of a sudden we have so much empathy for other people who are going through stuff. And it occurred to me that so many pastors in this area, I think we can be judgmental of one another. Ah, you know, we might do this or do that, but boy, when when the marriage fails, that's a that's a serious one. So share with us some of what you experienced and what you learned. Again, just as much as you're comfortable in doing. No, no, it's it's fine. I mean, and I, and, you know, you looked at the book. I have actually that I framed the whole book against this. I wouldn't have got into the contemplative spirituality and even had some of the um, powerful experiences I've had with God if I wouldn't have gone through a divorce. Now, I think I could have gotten to those places without it, but that yeah. was the impetus for really. I mean, the last um, this all happened in 2010, so it's coming up on 12 years this September. Um, this has been the most growth I've ever had of any decade. This really the last 10 to 12 years. And it was pre, you know, it was all precipitated by literally a train wreck. Um, you know, and like I told you before, I'm not going to get into all, all the details, but basically right. in August, 1990, I hit my 20th anniversary. And again, I think looking back, I probably should have seen it coming and there were signals, but you know, obviously, uh, 
I was able to like, I was thinking, I'm just going to ignore this. If I just keep doing this, we can fix everything. But, you know, like a month later, I was found myself, I was going to be suddenly single, whether I wanted it or not. The marriage was over. And that sent me in a really dark place. I'd been on sabbatical at the time, which is an academic. I had the semester off just to write. And so basically mm. the, the blessing was I didn't have to teach. So, but the, also the curse was I'm by myself, yeah. um, end up having the kids most of the time. But, you know, I literally had to face, wow, huge failure. Am I going to, and I, and it's, it's as simple as this. I was, I didn't know if I was, I figured I was going to lose my ministry. Um, both my ordination maybe, and, um, my job as a professor. Um, I figured I was going to get financially ruined. So I was going to be broke. Um, and then I was also terrified I was going to lose my kids. So I'm in a full blown crisis. Right. And, um, and I can, I can, I would agree with all those, you know, that's what most of us would immediately think. Yeah. And it, and it, and it didn't, it didn't feel good. It was, uh, uh, and, and I was, it, and, and also it was a shame too. I was like, Oh my gosh, this isn't what's supposed to happen. Like one of my favorite texts is Psalm one. And you think this tree planted by streams of water. And I'm like, I think my tree is about to get chopped down now. And I said, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. So it's just all this, um, fear, shame, guilt swirling around. Um, and you know, and the, the marriage blew up so spectacular. I'm literally divorced. Like by the next spring. So like for like six or seven months, it's just over. Um, now blessings that none of those three things that I said happened to me, but I was still emotionally fried on the inside. Like my faith, um, like I've said, I couldn't sing a song for two or three years in, in a worship service just because it just, it just didn't have it. Um, and that's when I got how I got into like contemplative uh, spirituality because I was already in silence and I just sat in silence and a friend showed me how to do the centering prayer. And it's essentially God kind of put me back together just by sitting, you know, in retrospect, kind of like Job, just sitting there in silence. And, you know, instead of having friends that, that you know, they my friends would just, they just, uh, they loved me without um, accusing me. And so uh, I basically then had to figure out how do you be a pastor that's divorced. Ugh, and that was so hard to just own that. And, you know, still to this day, if somebody wants me to work with them that doesn't know me, I just say, hey, you got to know this about me. If there's going to be a problem, because, you know, there are different positions on divorce and, you know, in, in some level. And, you know, I can say that, you know, the seminary kept me around because I got a biblical divorce. But I like I always like to say to everybody, I don't think a non-biblical divorce feels any better than a biblical divorce right. on the inside. Yeah. So I always want right. to say that. So, um, but I mean, some people don't consider like I would be disqualified. And I understand that as a position just as intellectually and as a, as a theologian right. and stuff. So always let people say, Hey, if this is going to be a problem, it's cool. We'll be friends, but I don't want to embarrass you or have something come up that would embarrass you. So I, you know, I, I do that out of respect to, to people that give me the chance to, if they want me to come and preach or teach that they don't know my, you know, my story or whatever, but I've been pretty public about it. So I'll just say that, um, that led me essentially to the greatest period of growth ever because I wanted, what I realized is everything felt so horrible on the inside and my faith was on fumes that I had a chance to look at every part of my life and and figure out how to reboot this. And like, in like one of my earliest prayers, 
was, Lord, bring all of the darkness that's inside of me into your light so it can be healed. Um, Because I want to get on the other side of this, whether, again, I get to stay in ministry or not. I didn't want to come out bitter and I wanted to be better. And the whole biblical divorce thing, I found sort of humorous. Hmm. Not really, just kind of in a cynical way. Is like I thought to myself, it's like, you know what? That gives me a pass. But you know what? If I want to be the man that I know God called me to be, I'm going to say the divorce was 100% my fault. And I'm going to put myself back together as though it was all my fault. Now, obviously, that's not Mm. true, but I wasn't going to be a victim and I wasn't going to let, oh, poor Brian, blah, blah, blah happen to him. It's like, no, I'm going to own it and I'm going to let God clean me up on the inside. And it's been a, you know, a challenging journey and it's been painful. And I don't want to come off sound like a saint here either, because, I mean, I'm a man that needs grace every single day. But I open myself up to basically saying, <clears throat> I want to be clean, cleaned out on the inside, regardless of what my future ministry might be. And again, I'm not going to stand here and say I've been completely cleaned out on the inside because that would be profoundly arrogant. But I will say that the last 10 years, God's knocked a lot of, um, brought a lot of darkness out of my soul and healed it and knocked a lot of, um, plastered over a lot of cracks, healed some stuff and um, and ironically put me in a position where I probably help more people than I did before. And I know that I'm a better teacher and, you know, even being a coach, I don't think I could have coached and been present with people um, without having essentially opening myself up to letting God into as many places as, you know, I'm I'm sure there's still places I need that I'm still blocking the Lord coming into, but uh, God's gotten to a lot of the little nooks and crannies of my life because of this. For the pastor, because I, I just had a pastor email me two weeks ago and say, yeah, you know, I've been I've been trying to get this marriage back together. I've been trying to make it work, and I now know it's not going to work. And is there just a, is there like a necessary time period, which I guess is relative, it's for, you know, the length of it is relative to different people, but is there a necessary time period when you're just, you're just empty? And it's it. You just need to tell people it's okay to just be empty and to grieve. No, absolutely. Because, um, yeah, because uh, it's hard. And I, this person, if they're listening, it's like um, you know, um, you know, bless you. And this, it's lots of pastors are having problems in their marriages now. And I even know seminary students are having divorces. It's just not easy now for whatever. Re- there's a lot of reasons. That's a whole other podcast, I'm sure. But there's a lot of people that are in your position and. The thing is, you can't control how you feel. I mean, I was a seminary professor. Well, I still am. I'm a professor. I was ordained, been the pastor yeah. of all these churches and stuff. And literally, lights went out on my faith for a long time. Not meaning I didn't want to believe, but literally felt nothing on the inside. And reading the Bible more didn't help me. Um, praying more didn't help me. I was kind of unconsolable, even from you know being a seminary professor. All my friends were pastors, basically. So I had this sure. great support network, and you know, not, nothing anybody said really helped. And it just took a lot of um, a lot of time, um, you know, while simultaneously, and this was the hard thing. 
especially if this person still has to stay in ministry, is you just um, you're running on fumes. And the only metaphor I can use, and if anybody's listening, make sure that right now, if you're in a good place, that you're metaphorically chopping. A, a creating a spiritual wood pile for yourself that's back behind the house. So if, or maybe when a winter time comes, you got enough wood back behind the house that if things turn off on your inner life, you can use that wood pile and still have a couple of logs left when it comes back on. Cause that's what I would say for me. Um, I ran on fumes for probably at least a year, if not longer. Um, but by the time I started at least functioning again, I hadn't learned, I hadn't used up my wood pile, if you, if you say. So that would be my biggest advice. Uh, but lean on people and do not, you have to, I mean, this is a, this sounds um, trite, but you have to have self compassion on yourself and recognize that, again, got to be careful theologically here, but the reality is God loves us unconditionally. And that is the gospel. Now, obviously we have a response, but um, you have to sit in that unconditional love of God and know that God's grace can get you through this. And you simply have to wait until your own feelings catch back up with that. So you talk about the wood pile. Go into that just a little bit more. How does one put a piece of wood on that wood pile? It's your spiritual habits and rituals. It's your scripture reading. It's your prayer life. It's all the things that we kind of know that, you know, I'll say we should be doing. I don't like the word should. It's really the things that we yeah. make must in our life, but it's it's that opening ourselves up to God's grace as much as possible. So you just kind of build up. One of my favorite metaphor, build up a, the woodpile. Another metaphor would be like Bernard de Clairvaux, who was a, a medieval kind of mystic and leader, like 12th century guy. One of his sermons he talks about in ministry, we need to be reservoirs. And what he meant by that is all ministry comes out of the overflow over the banks of the reservoir over against being a dry canal, which a canal would only have water in it when it would rain in those days. And a lot of times we do ministry, even in good times, it's whatever we get on Friday goes out on Sunday and then we have to replenish. So my encouragement to everybody would be during good times, open yourself up to God's grace through ordering your life in a you know really healthy way. This isn't about um, you know shoulds and stuff like that. This is for the sake of your own soul. Make sure that you're getting more grace in than you're giving out. So when those days come when you have nothing to give, you have a little bit of excess so that reservoir won't be down to nothing by the time it uh, starts replenishing again. Does that make sense, Jeff? Yeah. I mean, it's almost like a savings account. Yeah. You know, when you lose your job, you need to have a little bit of money in the bank to get you over across the hump. Yeah. So build friendships with, um, with people that really love you and can speak truth in your life, um, you know, be in a, you know, avail yourselves to what, at least as Methodists, we call the means of grace, scripture, study, fellowship, worship, all fasting, you know, have those things going in your life because that builds up your savings account in a sense. What would you say to somebody who's, uh, who's in this situation uh, and feels like, um, you know, there, there is no hope. Yeah. There's, they've, they've just hit it. Well, I mentioned this this one pastor, that one pastor is just representative of how many, you know, that are out there and probably more than just a few that are listening. Give, just give a little bit of hope. And, and you have. Yeah. But. 
Yeah. You know, I, I think that here's the hope. Like even when I was going through the divorce, I had these positive images. Like I always thought, like I live in Orlando, so it's sunny here all the time, right? That helped me so much to see the sun. But I would always think of myself that I was in a storm and the sun was just on the other side of those dark clouds, but I knew it was there. And I knew when the storm passed, the sun was going to be out again. And that always gave me hope. So it's like, there's that old saying, um, if you're in hell, keep walking or something like that. Huh. But, and, and I would say that is hope. Don't ever lose hope in the fact that the God that loves you, that things will open back up and there's going to be something on the other side. And, and But at the same time, you have to kind of let, can, let go of any expectations of what the other side is going to look like. Because like for my own life, um, I mean, if you told me... <laughs> I was going to write a book on centering prayer that I would actually be coaching pastors and and that it was somehow was even going to be a better teacher on the other side of this thing. I don't know if I would have believed you, but mm. in my own heart, I was thinking I've got it. I know that the sun's going to come out again and I just have to be ready, which by the way, but the other thing I would say is sometimes when you feel like no hope that the temptation is just to make yourself feel good. And so one of the things I would just say to anybody is, um, you're under so much stress. It's super easy just to give in to um, like certain temptations or whatever. So be super careful with yourself and find friends that you trust and spend time with them because you don't want to be alone where you might be tempted to, you know, the easy way to make yourself feel good is, you know, drink or something like that. And, and, you know, nobody would blame you because it's going through a hard time, but you, you can't, you got to embrace and grab a hold of soul enhancing practices and re- resist the temptation to go into a downward spiral just because you already feel bad. That's we see that all over the place, both in the church and outside the church. So I would say that. So never give up hope that the sun's going to come out, and make sure you're ready for the sun to come out by holding it together. Don't make a bad situation worse. Yes, is what you're saying. What, what, is there something that you did early on that was instrumental in helping you have a successful? transition from that part of your life to the next part of your life is, you know, anything that you look back on and say, boy, it's a good thing I did that. Cause if I didn't, it, it may not have turned out the way it did. Well, I, I think it was that mindset that I mentioned that I had known people that had gone through divorces just cause I was a pastor and, and I saw at some level people end up being bitter. I'm talking about men, um, kind of had an edge towards women and just kind of sometimes kind of nasty and stuff. And it's like, I like, you know what? I want to be better, not bitter. So I had that phrase in my head, believe it or not, from almost the very beginning. And then just the sense that I'm going to have to open myself up to grace and, you know, make changes in my life. So, I mean, that th- those mindsets are critical to know that you're going to get through this. It's going to take a season. And that season might be, you know, six months, it might be a year, it might be five years, but it's going to take a season. You just got to own that. You're in a winter and, you know, I know, I think you're up in what, Iowa or something, if I remember right. So, yeah, yeah. you know, you got real winters there, right? So, you don't, you're, you know, hopefully you're coming out of winter now, but sometimes it lasts until late April or whatever. You don't know how long the winter is going to be. So just recognize that. <clears throat> and just, and then imagine that you're going to make a comeback into a 2.0 and just sit back and kind of um, 
anticipate that, but you can't rush it. That's that's what I would really say because in and, and it takes a tremendous amount of self-compassion too, because you're just gonna feel the way you feel. So fuel yourself with the healthiest habits that you can do. Like, you know, I'll just give an example. <clears throat> No, this, this was amazing. Like when, when I, when, whenever, when I found my marriage was ending, you know, like I was about six foot tall. So I, I still weighed about 210 pounds. So I found out my marriage is over and literally I lose 35 pounds in one month, just drops off. Wow. And, and uh, I found out that it's called the divorce diet. I guess this happens. Mm-hmm. I, did, I never heard of that, but so I, I literally go from overweight to almost as skinny as I was in college. And, you know, and I looked at my people like, you know, like, geez, Brian, are you sick? Some people actually thought I had cancer or something. Cause I just like wasted away like in a month for uh, probably five weeks. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I literally lost that much weight. Like by November of the, of that, uh, 2010, I was like skinny and, and I've managed to keep the weight off. And, but one of the things I did is I found new things that distracted me. And so one of the things I did for a season is um, I went on a 100% plant-based diet because I was like, how do you keep the weight off when you get all thin? And I'm like, well, and I, and also now I'm single and I have to learn how to cook and everything. So I learned how, I learned a whole new series of habits and started eating different things. So I changed up my um, my typical practices, started eating different food and found cooking as a new hobby that kind mm-hmm. of distracted me from my situation. And I was able yeah. to do it with my daughter. So those are, the, and I planted a garden. I remember that spring, which I'd never done before. So find hobbies that will um, give you something to do that doesn't just remind you of your old life. Like if you go to the same old restaurants, because that's one of the things that you have when you're going through a divorce, I call them ghosts. There's all the places that meant something and if you go back to them, they just make you sad. And so you have to f- create some new habits. And so those would be a couple of examples. And I, I hopefully I wasn't rattling on too long. But No, that's no, that, that's good. That's really good. I, I know uh, one of my boys had gotten into an accident and, and it was quite serious. And he was kind of touch and go for a couple of weeks. And during those weeks, I lost a lot of weight. Yeah. He and I, he and I, this particular one, we could enjoy food together. And when he wasn't there to enjoy it with me, I didn't want to eat it. You know, I just, I didn't want to eat it because he couldn't be there with me. Uh, So I get that. So how did you show up differently as a dad during those times? And, And what did you do to help your, help your kids, even though at the time you really had nothing to give? Well, that was one of the things that kept me going, honestly, was my kids, because I just remember one morning, and this is where the sun started meaning so much to me, is like my kids are in the house, and and I end up basically, I'm one of the few men that I really, I, 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 up, I kept my kids almost the whole time, and that's a whole other story, but I ended up being basically a single father. And so I was just committed to loving my daughters. And I'd always, because I was a professor, I had a fairly flexible schedule. So I was very involved in their lives. Like I was a soccer coach and they played soccer. So we doubled down on the, on the sports. But I remember there was a key moment where I just thought, I just can't go on. And I was in my bed and like, I don't think I can get out of bed. And that's when the sun kind of popped through one of my um, blinds. And my daughters were on the other side of the house. And I just remember thinking, well, the sun just came up. It comes up whether it's a good day or a bad day. I'm going to get up, and I did it. I did it for my daughter, so my daughters kept me going, and I just tried the best that I could 
to make things as normal as possible for them. Um, and I, and I've continued to try to do that. My, the good news is both of my daughters now, like my youngest is actually graduating from college into this month. And my other daughter is going to be a therapist, which probably comes out of some of the pain she got from this. Oh, whole sure. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> but you know, in those days they were nine and 11. And so I just tried to love on them, uh, stayed involved in their lives. We tried to cook meals and do as keep as much normal things as possible. Again, super grateful. There were friends like uh, my one daughter was in the either Girl Scouts or the Brownies. I don't remember what it was at that time, but a lot of the other moms knew what kind of was going on. So they gave my daughter some extra attention. We had good friends and stuff. They got to do sleepovers. And so just tried to support them by showing up and making sure I was there. They, they knew I was going to take them to school, pick them up. And again, because of my job, I was blessed to be able to do that. But that, that, that made a big deal. So in a sense, I'd always been very involved in their lives so that nothing changed there except I had to do an even more. I was the, you know, the old, I was doing the laundry and the cooking and everything at that point. In what context have you felt judgment from others? You know what? That's been the funniest thing. I don't think I've ever felt, I've ever, I don't think I've, I've judged myself a million times more than anybody else has judged me. Mm -hmm. I have to say the scariest conversations were with um, like even the president of the seminary. I had to call him up and say, Hey, I'm getting divorced. And he could have fired me. And, you know, and I told him face to face and he got a tear in his eye and prayed for me the second I told him. And, you know, this was a person literally who held my job in his hands. Um, and, and then my colleagues were the same, other pastors. So I don't really think I've been, I, I actually am pretty sure I haven't been judged by anybody other than myself. That's great to hear. Yeah. That's great to hear. That's because you're in the Methodist group. Yeah, probably is. <laughs> well, probably is, right? And, and again, you, you know, and the whole thing is, I've just tried to be a blessing to other people my whole life and try to practice what I preach. And, and I was there for people when their lives were falling apart too. And so I'm not saying I deserved anything, and, um, but you know, I wasn't like I started at a negative position and got myself into a bad spot. I, I had had a lot of human capital and people knew me and they basically ran to help me. And I could have had even more help if I would have. It's You, you have a tense tense temptation is to kind of self-isolate and I did do that in some ways, but I just had good friends and, um, you know, and, and they knew the whole story too. I think my situation, I th which I don't want to really, like I said, really want to get into, yeah. um, that made it a little easier for people to be kinder to me, I think. Um, well, I just want to say to our listeners that think about the group that you're with, you know, would you receive the same grace and mercy from, your cohorts and comrades in ministry. And if you wouldn't, what could you do about that? So that if there are other people who are in that situation, that you make sure that they do receive that. And maybe if you wouldn't, ask yourself, is this really the, the group that I should be connected with and be a part of? Um, because I know the group that I grew up with, well, you wouldn't have been two minutes in your office after that. Yeah. There was really, you know, they make the decision first and then we'll talk about, you know, the ramifications later. So that's really good to hear that you're with a group of people that uh, believers that show grace and mercy and and are willing to help and be part of the solution. And it reminds me of one other thing, too, because I didn't know that. Because what's interesting, just to get make your point, like our faculty handbook at the seminary um, 
and every every group has a, you know a discipline or a handbook or whatever and it actually says in the case of a divorce the faculty may retain the faculty member and i just remember that word may never meant anything to me until it was actually happening i'm like may because i you know there was a had yeah. to be an investigation and stuff but in my own brain I already had a worst case scenario. I talked about thinking I was going to lose my job, basically be bankrupt and lose the kids. Um, like for me, what I did, and this might find be helpful to someone, um, you know, and it, I kind of let myself go to a dark place. This helped me because of my personality, but I basically like thought, okay, worst case scenario, all three of those things happen. So I don't have a job anymore. I lose regular access to my children and I'm completely broke. What would I do? And, uh, you know, what was funny is at the time I thought, oh, I'll have to live in my parents' basement. And, and, and it was kind of funny. I literally had this eureka and I'm like, well, I'd have a place to sleep. My parents love me and I'd at least have food and I would launch a comeback from there. And I might not be able to be a pastor or a professor, but I could do something and I was going to retrain. And then no matter where my kids were, I just committed myself. Even if I sim- temporarily separated I'm going to get back to them no matter what. So I let myself kind of go to worst case because there, you know, there are denominations that don't allow divorce, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of them. So don't, speaking of pastors, I would say this, if you would lose the ministry, and I worked with pastors who've transitioned anyway as a coach, most of us think this is the only thing we can do. Now it's a calling from the Lord. And, you know, there's always a way to be a servant of God, even if you couldn't be a pastor. There's, I mean, you could be a great lay person and a lay leader if that's how your your denomination works. But what I would tell every pastor is all of us have a lot more skills that are completely marketable in the secular world than we think. And so, yeah, it's the, un- the um, you know, the unimaginable could happen depending on your context, but don't think that's the end. Maybe this is the hopeful part that you were saying and that you can, with time, transition to something where you can serve really powerfully, just like the lay people that you're serving. Now you have fantastic Christian men and women who aren't pastors, who have massive ministries. So, you know, you might lose the ordination part depending on the circumstances, but don't think that's the end of what God can do through you if you're in a context that, you know, doesn't permit divorce. Let's put it that way. And you stay in that denomination. Yeah, that's great. So now as we get close to the end here, you're coaching now. Yeah. Just yeah. talk for a minute about the new opportunities you have in this 2.0 world of yours. Yeah. Well, basically all the work that I did on myself to open myself up to the future, to learn new skills, to work through how to think about making a comeback after something really bad happened, all the reading that I did. I just found people coming to me, um, you know, not no longer to console me, but like, how did you do it? We've watched you. How did you do what you did? And, and they saw that basically I was a better teacher, um, it's more compassionate, and they wanted some of this. So I started mentoring students first. Uh, but then I got the opportunity to start to have an alumni calling me and say, hey, would you mentor us? And so I started essentially group coaching. I call it deep dive spirituality. And you know, folks can go to deepdivespirituality.com and see my, some of my coaching stuff. But I started doing that. Um, and I do group coaching and one-on-one. And I just help pastors essentially um, deepen their spiritual lives as the means to um, – being more successful in ministry and in life. I think it all starts with how we handle our inner life. So I do a lot of 
essentially that along with some leadership principles. And then I also found that those exact same things that I um, coach pastors on can translate to even um, a person running a small business. They still have essentially the same issues. And so I use my same spiritual coaching practices with them. I I, I coach like state farm agents and uh, other nonprofit folks and some, and and some entrepreneurs. Um, And it's been incredibly fun and fruitful for me and and it's expanded my ministry. So that's, that's what, that's what I do with, uh, with the coaching. And it's been um, I'm super passionate about it because you you literally see people's lives changed in the one-on-one or the small group work. Yeah. It makes me think of the old line, Oh man, Brian, I want to do what you do. Yeah, but do you want to do what I've done? Yeah, that's exactly that is exactly right. Like I, I wouldn't have imagined that I would have ever been a coach either when all this stuff happened. But in a sense, that's been um yeah, that's been a real blessing that that I'm gonna have to say God has put me uh, that that that's been the surprise of my of my life recently. I've been it's doing redemption. Coaching, yeah, for, for three years and uh Yeah. Yeah, and then that story that I have, which is I mean, it's true, it's that's end up being that's like um that's kind of an origin story for the coaching thing now too, which is just really interesting. It's the redemption part, you know, where God, God, you know, God walks with us through all these crazy things, but then he redeems the stuff and again, we have something to show for it and something to, to praise God for, even though we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have ordered it up and we don't want to go through it again. We went through it. At least God can, can, can make lemonade out of the lemons. So that's yeah. good. You have any last words you want to share before we uh, end? Yeah, if you, yeah, I do. I, I, there's this really powerful metaphor. I'm, my next book's going to be sort of about this. Um, you know, one of my favorite texts from the from the scriptures is Psalm one. It talks about the tree planted by streams of water. You know, but then you read the rest of the Psalms, and all the people are is in trouble all the time and having serious problems. And you think, geez, was Psalm one naive? All I have to do is read the scriptures and I'm gonna, everything's going to be good. I'm going to fruit all the tri- on, on the season. The leaves are never going to wither. And then I saw this tree down in um, uh, South Orlando. It's actually not too far from where Disney World is. I was coming around the corner hiking during the pandemic lockdown. And all I could see, this, it was this huge tree and it got knocked over and its root ball was standing up. And I, and, and I just looked at that and I was like, wow, look at that. It's just amazing. It's like 12 foot tall, huge root ball. But then I noticed this tree that should have been dead. It was now completely sideways and new roots came off the trunk down. And if you walk from the other side, all you see is this tree that's regrown a canopy out of the trunk, but it lays, you you can't even tell it's laying vertical. And, And I thought that's the Psalm one tree. Because the reason that tree stayed alive, Jeff and everybody listening, was um, it had roots that were so deep, even when probably 75% of its root system was pulled out, it was plugged in to, I'm going to make the spiritual now, to God's grace in such a way that even though it fell sideways, God was able to be grow up new roots. And this tree is now, I mean, it's like a landmark at this park because- a tree doesn't live when it gets its root ball pulled up and it's sideways, but it's this enormous tree that's been alive for a long time. And I want to say, whatever happens in life, you know, sometimes we can just stare at our root ball like, geez, all people see is this root ball, this I'm a sideways tree. But if you open yourself up to the future and 
allow God to reroute you, you can grow into a beautiful tree where people are surprised to hear the backstory that you have. Nice. Well, I knew that when we talked the last time, I, I just I felt like you really had some stuff to share on a podcast called Coaching for Pastors. So, Brian, thank you so much. And, and you said uh, deepdivespirituality.com? Yeah, that goes directly to the coaching and my, you know, or you can look at my main, the whole website. This it gets redirected there, but it's um, brianrussellphd.com has ever, pretty much everything else that I That's do right. too. So either one of those. Yeah, you got a lot of good stuff on there too. I looked on brianrussellphd.com. Brian with an I, two S's and two L's and Russell. Yes. All right. Very good. Well, hey, thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's it's a privilege, Jeff, and I appreciate uh, your sensitivity and even asking the questions and the stuff we talked about. I'm just super grateful, and 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 everybody for listening. Thank you for the privilege of uh, of sharing some of my story with you today. When Johnny Craig and I talked with Brian on the 200 Churches podcast recently, I knew I knew that there was a there was a whole nother episode with him where he was going to be able to encourage pastors, and and this was it. I'm so thankful to Brian for opening himself up, sharing his life, sharing a difficult time of his life, just to encourage other pastors. And just two things that I really walk away from this with is when he talked about building up the wood pile in your life during the good times when, when it's not snowing and you don't need a lot of heat in your cabin, man, chop wood and build that wood pile up so that when it's so cold and there's so much snow on the ground and you can't get out there and get wood, you've already got a full pile. So I said to him, what does it look like? How do you put a piece of wood on the wood pile? And I just took some notes. He's essentially talking about, in the good times, have the highest level of spiritual vitality you can possibly have for when those difficult times come. And they may not come, God willing, they never come through a breakup of your marriage, but there are all kinds of things, right, in life. We've seen them in the last couple of years that can just tear us apart. So spending time in the Word, uh, walking closely with the Spirit of God, spending that that quality time in prayer, developing joy in our hearts, uh, paying particular attention to our health, considering soul care to be very important in our lives, caring for our own souls, filling the reservoir of our souls. With, with good stuff, with friendships. He talked about fasting, all of these things so that we're spiritually healthy. Now, when we do all those things, some of those things will prevent disasters in our lives, but it's not always going to be the case. But surely when we prepare ahead of time, we're much, obviously, much more prepared. So I appreciate that thought. And then the second thing is when he said, you know, when, when you're down and out, and you've got only one direction to go in, look up because the sun is right there behind the clouds. So I'm talking to you, my friend, who this is just not a good time in your life. In fact, this might be the very worst time in your life. And I want to share with you as well what Brian said. The sun really is on the other side of the clouds. It's still shining. It's really bright. It's like when you get in a plane and you're taking off and it's just overcast and you get above the clouds and it's a beautiful day. There's sunshine up there. It's always a beautiful day somewhere for someone. 
And if you get through it long enough, that beautiful day is going to be for you too. Don't lose hope. Don't lose hope. I think that we heard today that, yes, there's real, there's real pain. There is true suffering that we have to go through. There's no denying it. There's no, like, shortcutting it. We talked about just, you know, you just sometimes things happen in our lives, and we just have to sit there. We have to feel it. We have to go through a necessary time, a necessary duration of pain and suffering. It's, you know, the whole book of Job, right? I mean, Job just sitting there in his pain and his suffering, and yet sooner or later, God shows up. And yet sooner or later, God redeems and God saves and God restores. So you may be going through difficulty. Do do not, do not lose hope. Now, Brian's book, Centering Prayer, I want to encourage you to consider checking that out. The, the, the subtitle is Sitting Quietly in God's Presence Can Can Change Your Life. It's a, one of probably the, one of the top five books that I've ever picked up from our guests over the years that really immediately made an impact on my life. It, it was it's, it's quite a moving book. Now, I haven't finished it, uh, but I read more of it just scanning it than I would normally read. Now it's at the top of my uh, stack of books over here, and I'm working my way through it as I can. Uh, but, but check that book out. Of course, it is on Amazon, not expensive. And uh, sitting quietly in God's presence is something that all of us could probably benefit from. So thank you, Brian Russell. You can find him at brianrussellphd.com or deepdivespirituality.com. Both great resources, really super resources. I want to encourage you to get there. Hey, next week we've got uh, John Finkeldy, the good doctor from down under from Perth, Australia. He he comes from uh, growahealthychurch.com. We've got him on the docket for next weekend for a special, another special, hopefully consistent bonus weekend conversation. Because, you know, on the weekends, Saturdays, sometimes you're doing doing yard work. Uh, Sometimes you're doing housework. Sometimes you're just hanging out on a Saturday. For me, I'm preoccupied with Sunday. But then on Sunday afternoon, so my point is on the weekends, Saturday or Sunday afternoon, you may have time to listen just a little bit longer and my intention is that you would be encouraged. I've never met a pastor who's over-encouraged. Are you over-encouraged? Are you ever in a state of, oh, I'm just way, I've got too much encouragement. I can't handle the encouragement. Yeah, I didn't think so. So I just want to push some your way on the weekends. And then, of course, our Monday through Friday episodes, only seven to nine minutes long. Uh, I promise... I'll try not to ever go hit the 10-minute mark. Uh, but just just again, just to coach you and encourage you and build you up throughout the week. I don't know, man. I need that as a pastor. So I love to be able to share that with you. So, hey, thanks for listening this weekend. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Coaching for Pastors podcast. <laughs>